Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to get to grow dim so that he could not see, was laying down in his room. The lamp of, the God, of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel. This is the Lord of, word of the Lord. Gavin, good job. Very well done. Uh, I'd like to normalize pastors wearing warm clothes to, uh, to preach, if that's all right with, with you all. I uh, want to say, first of all, no, this is not a result of not raising quite enough money. We did, we did raise enough. Thank you very much. We did. Um, and even Matt's been so good about having folks out this week to make sure, to make sure, to make sure that it wouldn't be cold on on Sunday, and uh, we might be getting our money back uh, for that, but thank you sturdy pioneer people for, for being here today. Always good to see you. Uh, I don't know if you know this. We are, in fact, in this season of Epiphany. We are doing a sermon series called Haven't You Heard, and so I guess I would say this, have you heard that we aren't using lighthouses anymore? At the end of 2023, the very last functional lighthouse closed. Last one. This is Sally. She was the employee that was working the very last functioning lighthouse. This is it. This is it. Now, <clears throat> I have it on good authority that we are still preserving these lighthouses because really what we really want to see is these lighthouses against the sky, right? We want to see those, whether it's Lake Hefner helping all those boats out there <laughs> or wherever. This one's in Massachusetts. I can tell you that they are going to be preserved for historical reasons, but they are no longer functioning as lighthouses. And if you didn't know, lighthouses do this. They say, hey, ship with people on it. Don't come this way. There are rocks here. And if you, if you crash here, you might die. Well, as it turns out, there are better ways to deliver that message. The message is still current. The, the message is still needed, right? The, the message is don't die by crashing your boats against these rocks. There's life to be had way out there. But lighthouses aren't the best way to deliver that message anymore. There's, there's like radar and stuff now that does a better job of delivering the life-saving message than the lighthouses. I hope that churches aren't lighthouses. 
Now that sounds funny, right? Because we do, we do have, there was an old song when I was traveling and singing <laughs> Southern gospel music, right? In the era of boom chicks is what we called it. Remember that? There was an old song called The Lighthouse. And there was a line in that song that went like this. If it wasn't for The Lighthouse, where would this ship be? Right? There's, even more recently, there's some pretty cool, more current groups that sing a song. One of, the, one of those songs is called My Lighthouse. Right? Pretty cool. Guys, lighthouses no longer work to protect ships from jagged rocks. The message is the same. The method has to change. I'm going to say that again. In the hopes that there might be an amen, since you know I'm not just talking about lighthouses, right? The message is crucial, and it's the same. But the method has to change, and all God's people said. Oh, my goodness, y'all. Now, I also have a friend, a very dear friend, and I'm kind of watching at a distance while this friend of mine who is a pastor of a church in, in the Dallas area is slowly but surely, you can almost see it on, on Facebook, you can see his confidence in the project known as the local church bleeding out of his life. And I'm sad about that. He's not the only one. There are lots of people who are asking this dangerous question right now. Does this make any sense anymore? Like, what are we doing? And to be sure, part of the problem is that we Christian people don't do change very well. Fair? And part of the problem is that we Christian people at times mistake the method for the message. Several years ago, kids, you may not know this, but several years ago, we used to have this thing called Sunday night church. <laughs> so many years ago that some of the people in this room were born after we stopped doing such thing. Can I tell you why we stopped doing such thing? It was not working. <laughs> and by not working, I meant sometimes it was me and Jason. <laughs> now, that was a method, right? I, I hope you all recognize that we are deeply con connected and convicted and committed, covenantally committed to the message. But we're willing to monkey with methods. And so we said, hey, you know what? We, we think Sunday night church is a method that's a little bit like a lighthouse, and we're gonna let it go. Ooh, I got some angry parishioners in my ear. Now, they hadn't been coming. Let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> but here's what one of these people said to me. Okay, if we're not going to have Sunday night church, pastor, then when are people going to get saved? Now, in her experience, Sunday night church was when people got saved. And I said, why do you, why do you suspect that people are getting saved on Sunday nights? And not Sunday mornings, I kid you not. She said this to me, it's like, people are too drunk to come to church on Sunday mornings. <laughs> it's when they finally dry out and come to church on Sunday nights that they can hear the gospel. They can't even hear it. They're too hungover on Sunday mornings. I didn't want to ask any questions about her weekends, but uh, I said, I don't think that's necessarily true anymore. I don't think that's necessarily true anymore. I found a pastor talking about this subject while talking about this passage this week, a, a guy by the name of Jason Bayasi. 
And he had this great line. I want to just kind of sit with it for a second. Ready? God's people cannot be known for our nostalgia. We must be known for our hope. Oh. Now, that does not mean that we are only forward-facing and, and turning a, a blind eye or turning our backs to our own history. We just had a Wesley Covenant service, right? And, and I would say to you that that is a crucial moment, moment for our entire church. It is a tradition, it is a tradition that I find rich. I, the, the language of the service, the very person of John Wesley who gives us a lens through which we view not only God but our own participation with God in faith, I, I think that is an important, important thing. I think we should continue to do the Wesley Covenant service, but it doesn't have to be in ye old English. Make sense? So we will hopefully mean, I want to be the church that says, to one another, it's important that we remember to remember and that we learn to listen because God may, while being committed to the message, God may be so committed to the message that the method has to change. Right? If God is ultimately committed to the message, then it stands to reason then that the method may have to change. If God was committed to the method, then eventually the message would be lost by a culture who hears differently than the culture heard before. How are we doing? So far so good? You may not know it, but we are already talking about the passage that Gavin read so well earlier today. And by the way, how many pastors in Oklahoma know that you have Pikachu on your shirt? That is definitely Pikachu, right? It is Pikachu. Okay, good. good. We've already started talking about 1 Samuel 3. Let me give you some uh, backdrop information here. The book of 1 Samuel details so much change, so much change. I, I've been in touch with Marty Michelson this week, good buddy of ours, who's an Old Testament scholar now serving uh, at Northwest Nazarene, and he has really helped me this week, uh, as well as Dr. Tashton helping me on, on Tuesday. 1 Samuel is a book that details that the message doesn't change meaning that the method has to. So you had this priestly tradition, a priestly family that was running the show. It was the family of Eli. And Eli had two sons, and by their names, we should have known that they would be scoundrels because their names were Phineas and Hophni. Those are gonna be bad guys, you know that, just to listen. And sure enough, they were bad guys. So bad that God said, you are damaging the message. The message, you priests, is unhearable. It's unhearable because you guys are embodying it so poorly. And so God says, I'm angry. I want to remind us that being made in God's image tells us something about God, right? God's angry and says, enough is enough is enough. We're going to stop this, even if I have to do something radically different. And God is saying and said in the chapter prior, Eli, your time is coming to a close. I'm going to do something different. Maybe something way different, like way different. Like Samuel may have been Gavin's age. Maybe. Look at this. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. 
The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. And that's what happens when you're committed to the method rather than the message. At that time, young Eli, at that time, old Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. One of the things that, that Marty said to me is like, listen, all of these words have multiple meanings. <laughs> all of these phrases have multiple meanings. Eli's eyesight growing dim was not just about his vision, it was about his vision, right? Okay, this verse too, <coughs> the lamp of God. And Marty said, well, this, had, this lamp of God in the temple played a very uh, specific role. It, it helped light things <laughs> and, and preserve light when there would be darkness otherwise, like in the middle of the night. So the lamp of God, this was probably in the middle of the night, had not yet gone out, and there was Samuel lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Now, the ark of God contained artifacts, valuable artifacts of Israel's past. We think there might have been a pot of manna in there, preserved manna. We think that there might have been the tablets in there. Somebody's bones, we think, were in there. This was a very important, important, and Samuel seems to have known that it was important. It was his job to essentially lie right there beside the ark to, I guess, serve it, serve the people, serve the temple, and protect it. Now, interestingly, we're going to see this later. Here is Samuel with some idea that this is an important moment, that this is an important ark, but Samuel had no firsthand experience where the voice of God was concerned. In other words, you can grow up in church and not learn to hear the voice of God. And when you grow up in church and you don't learn to hear the voice of God, you become a prime candidate to be that person who is committed to the method, but not the message. Verse four, so this voice you know what? It's the same voice that called to Abram before he would become Abraham. The same voice that had something to say to Sarai before she would become Sarah. It's the same voice from the bush that called out to Moses. That same voice with which Samuel was not acquainted said Samuel, Samuel. Quick tip, any time in the Old Testament when you hear a name uh, said twice, that is God trying desperately to get somebody's attention, to get them to do something, to listen and to obey. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel, thinking it was Eli, got up and runs into Eli, Eli's room, wakes him up and says, here I am. You called me. He said, I did not. Go lay down. Now notice Eli whose eyesight, whose vision is growing dim, it, it takes him three chances before he understands <laughs> that something else is going on here. So finally, Eli says, oh, wow, I, I do think I know what's going on here. The next time you hear this voice, it very well could be the voice of God. Verse nine, so Samuel went and laid down his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, because Eli told him to say this, speak, for your servant is listening. John, what are, you, what are you trying to do? What is the utility of gathering as a body of believers? Well, I would say lots of things, right? And, and we try to summarize those, that lots, of, that lots of things by saying this. We are people who are concerned with friendship with God, Friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. 
We gather to hear from God, to listen to God, to be responsive to the very voice of God. But some of the people haven't heard God's voice yet, and that's okay. As long as there are other people in the room who are willing to help him, her, them, listen. Listen for the very voice of God, and then to know how to respond once somebody hears the voice of God. It's, it's hard to tell somebody who has never heard the voice of God that you have heard the voice of God. They look at you funny. Y'all, I have heard the voice of God. I was at a gas station, minding my own youth pastor business, when God said, look over there at those kids gathered by the dumpster. And it changed the next decade of my life. That's where I found some PC Academy kids. PC Academy is a, still is an alternative school in the Putnam City District. And as sure as I'm standing here, God said, go introduce yourself. By the way, go introduce me to them. And so I went over and I said, guys, hey. And they looked at me like I was an alien and said, hey, giant person talking to us. I said, can I sit with you? and just, you know, talk. And they were just, just this gracious enough to say, okay. And I sit down, I say, hey, can I get you guys anything? Cigarettes? I said, nope. Not gonna get you cigarettes, anything else? I said, yeah. How about some Diet Dr. Pepper and some flaming Hot Cheetos? <laughs> so God had me buy Diet Dr. Pepper and flaming Hot Cheetos, and I'm telling you, that became a regular relationship that changed my trajectory, that changed this church's trajectory, and I will never be told that that wasn't God who pointed me in that direction. But God had to say something to get my attention. Hey, you, go over there. You all, that is the bedrock of our faith. The bedrock of our faith is that there are people who will say, I heard God say to me, you're going this way, go that way. Eugene Peterson, he said this about this very subject matter this week. God speaks to Samuel. That God speaks is the basic reality of biblical faith. The fundamental conviction of our faith is not so much that God is as that God speaks. You with me? Listen, faith is not simply behavior modification. I don't want you to do terrible things. <laughs> if you have the habit of doing terrible things, I would say to you, not only does God want you to stop, but the people around you want you to stop doing those terrible things. Do not harm others or yourself. By the way, you don't have to be Christian necessarily to make those kinds of decisions, right? But I would say, if you listen for the loving voice of God, the loving voice of God does have something to say to you in the midst of your habits, in the midst of your addictions. This God does have something to say to you about the rocks that are dead ahead. <laughs> this God does have something to say about the life that's actually available if you would turn your ship and go that way. But we need one another to learn to listen. Samuel needed Eli to say, hey, I know what's, I remember this God. I remember this voice. You should go listen. And so Samuel listens. And everything changes because Samuel listens. By the way, I want you to learn to listen, but I want to tell you up front, 
if you'll learn to listen, everything could change. Everything. Everything. Now, the message <laughs> that Samuel heard from God was, again, spooky. It was God reiterating, Samuel, I have had it with Eli and Hophni and Phinehas. Had it. It's over. And he's saying this to young Eli. It's over, and I'm going to do something very, very, very different. Samuel goes and lays down, having heard this very difficult story. Wakes up the next morning, and Eli said, so did you hear from God? Uh, yeah, I did. Samuel, you want to tell me what, what God said? Nope, sure don't. <laughs> Eli said, no, you're going to tell me. You're, you're going to tell me because I said you're going to tell me. And then Samuel says, okay, well, here's what God said. It's over. It's time for a new beginning. In fact, Eli, this, this line catches me every time. What's coming is so, not just bad, but what's coming is so big, so noteworthy that everybody who hears this news, their ears will tingle. But it includes the end of your line, the end of your days, the end of your influence here. And Eli summons the courage to say, well, God's God and I'm not. God's God and I'm not. In other words, Eli is saying, maybe it's time to get rid of that old lighthouse. Maybe because the message must stay the same, the methods have to change. Now, it's interesting to hear how Samuel is described in the rest of the book. And it's really interesting when you stand, let's say, in the book of Luke and look back to see how it is that Samuel is described in the Old Testament. Here, here's what I mean. 1 Samuel 3.19, Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to the north to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. Goes on to say something like this, and he grew, see if this sounds familiar, wisdom, stature, and favor. In other words, God is saying, there is a whole new priesthood coming. I have chosen this one that you never would have chosen. I have chosen this one to change everything. Centuries later, informed by this story, the author of the book of Luke would say, and this Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And look at these interactions in the temple. Simeon and Anna seemed to know that there was something about this other we, that we never would have chosen. There was something about him that's going to change everything. At 12 years old, Jesus goes back to the temple and confounds all of the scholars there at the temple by his ability to have the conversation and answer all the questions. Everybody seemed to know that there was something about this kid who continued to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Samuel would become a prophet and none of his words would fall to the ground. By the way, those are actually God's words. But Samuel made God's words hearable. That's what prophets did for the people of God. The point is that God is hearable. The sermon series is, haven't you heard? Maybe I would add to that, haven't you heard recently? Enough to know that 
God still speaks. The method may be different, and maybe you need to loosen your grip on the methods so that the message can get to you finally. One of the strongest voices to say something like this was Abraham Heschel, survivor of the Holocaust, who said this, the prophet not only conveys, the prophet reveals. In speaking, the prophet reveals God. This is the marvel of a prophet's work. In his words, the invisible God becomes audible. <laughs> audible. Y'all, especially you cynics out there, I need you to hear me say this. God speaks. God still speaks. John, are you going to sing Terry Toller's song? He's still... No, I'm not. <laughs> it's a good song. It's a good song. I, I do want to say this again and again and again. And I want to say it as perhaps somebody who might qualify to be the chairman of the Cynics Club. God speaks. How do you know, John? I've heard it. I hear it. Now, that voice comes through a variety of forms. That voice comes to me in a variety of ways. But I would not be standing here before you still, 33 years into our relationship, if I didn't believe that God still speaks. Cynic, hear me. It's not whether or not God is speaking, it's whether or not we have learned to listen. Samuel's name borrows at its root from this word, Shema. Hear, O Israel, in Deuteronomy, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Samuel's very name seems to indicate that there is still something, there is a voice out there to hear. But beyond that, there's a voice out there to deeply listen to because those are two different things, right? You can hear a rumbling noise, but you listen to somebody that you love. And if you really love them, you listen with your whole body. This is why I think churches make sense today. I think we should gather to help one another to remember to remember that God still speaks. That there is something to hear there is someone to listen to and listen for. And that someone, when we listen to and listen for that one, can shape the shape of our lives in ways that not only benefit us who listen, but this is what a resurrection community does, ready? But can also shape the shape of others' lives around us, within reach, and that includes Africans. That includes the people in Spain. That includes your weird neighbor, and trust me, I know that you have a weird neighbor. <laughs> that, includes, that includes the people with whom you have fracture right now, relational fracture. A resurrection community remembers to remember that God still speaks a word of hope, of grace, of reconciliation, because Yes, there are rocks dead ahead, everybody, 
But y'all, there is beautiful, hopeful life this way. It's a good reason for a group of people to gather, not just so that we can avoid the rocks, I do hope that, but so that you might be the way that God speaks to someone else. My man Jason agrees. Listen to this. The church, like the synagogue, is one of the only places in our culture where the young and the old make our lives together. Where else in our culture do people from four different generations entangle themselves in mutually dependent relationships without sharing the same last names? Oh. I mean, thunder games are great, but you don't even get that there. You don't get that in your OU fandom. And if you're an OSU fan, you don't get that either. I don't understand that part, but you don't get that either. I think this is the only place you get that in all of culture. Multiple generations, not related by blood, who get together and pull on the same rope and recognize that what we're undertaking is in fact a team sport. Now, what will happen to my friend who's the pastor? I don't know. It it sounds like he and others might be advocating sort of an individualized spirituality that concerns me a little bit. Because I'm not sure that a resurrection community, yes, we participate as individuals. Yes, I hope that it does feel personal at some level. I am not sure that you and I can undertake the challenges of a culture that is headed toward the rocks with God's help by staying at home and doing this on an individual basis. I think the people of God became the person of God who become again the people of God to be an alternative community. Alternative community. We are organized differently so as to be the people who remember to remember that this God speaks a word of hope life, future, and reconciliation. What would communion look like if you only did church by yourself in front of a screen? We had to do that for a minute during the pandemic, right? But even then, we tried to figure out ways to be together as we did these things over screens. But did you feel the same ache that I did I knew somehow down deep that that was not a sustainable model for communion. And by the way, sometimes this gathering is called a communion. Not a sustainable model. I need for someone to look me in the eye and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. I needed something tangible pressed in my hands. And then beyond that, I need people with whom to do this alternative way of being alive. Can you be a Christian on a deserted island by yourself? Controversial view from your pastor. I would say no. Now, you can believe the right things, but faith is played out on the field of relationships. I think to be Christian is to be rightly related, or at least to be working toward being (laughs) rightly related with the other, no matter matter the, the, the name, the label of the other. We are to be the bread, taken, blessed, broken, and given. But in order to get there, on a regular basis, we need to keep receiving the bread, 
taken, blessed, broken, and given. If you are gonna help us to set this table, would you please go ahead and come on? Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And God, bless us, bless us, your people. Bless us with this deep sense of purpose. More importantly, God, bless us with this deep sense of your companionship. Bless us, God, with a clarity that lets us understand why you are who you are and why you are fashioning us to be who you are fashioning us to be. And may we see that somehow there is something about this small ritual that does in fact shape us to be your people, that does in fact afford us the, the resources that we need to be your people outside of this room. God, help us to be the bread taken, blessed, broken, and given. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, all of you who will, and exit your pews to your left, and then to come forward. I think we have a few fewer stations today. <clears throat> and if you are watching from home, I want you to go ahead and find a way to participate with us if you can. Some of you can't be here today who are watching from home, and that's totally okay. That happens sometimes, but you are not left out of this moment, not left out of this process. I can remember when somebody shot us a picture of goldfish, I think, and, and ice water. And I said, we participate with goldfish and ice water. And I think I said, God will allow it. <laughs> Welcome to the moment, wherever you are. I would encourage you to participate with us. But you don't have to. You're invited, you're invited, but none are compelled. But if you are gonna participate, if you would step out of your pew, come forward to receive the bread and the cup, you will first come to somebody holding a plate of bread. That person will look you in the eye, place a piece of that bread in your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread and dip it in the cup. When you do, that person will say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat and then find a place to pray. You can pray here at the front, these kneeling benches, and I'll make sure that you know that you're not praying alone. You can pray at one of the side padded altars and we'll understand you to be there for a prayer for healing and somebody will meet you over there. Pastor Ken can come over here and Pastor Doug or Pastor Jim, there you are, Pastor Jim, if you come up here on this side, that would be great. If you need a prayer for healing, physical, mental, spiritual, relational, familial, we pray all the prayers for healing here. Or you can circle right back around and pray at your seat. That makes sense too. God can hear those prayers too. But I would ask that you would pray this, God, just how committed are you to the message? And then help me to see how committed I am to the method. And God, if you need to move me from method to message, please do. If you wanna take a special trip down to this bowl of water, it is meant to remind you of the moment of your baptism, and you're welcome to do that. I will do that. I need to do it each week because I need to be reminded of my identity. <laughs> I belong to you. You belong to me as we all belong to God. And the baptismal pool is where we make all of that as official as we can make it. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat of it, remember me. 
And later he would take the cup, hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember me. Friends, let's remember to remember that this is the God who is still speaking if we have ears to hear. And now if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to your left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish us, the people of God.